I'm George Lucas Pfeiffer, and you're listening to Work Inspired. This podcast brings together the top minds in commercial real estate, key influencers in architecture and design, business owners, thought leaders, technologists, and visionaries, all to explore how great work gets done. Here you'll discover ideas, strategies, inspiration, and knowledge that you can put to work at your organization, regardless of your position or your industry. This is Work Inspired. Today, on the first episode of Work Inspired, we have the privilege of talking entrepreneurship, work culture, and technology with a principal at one of the Midwest's leading architectural and design firms. From Shive Hattery, this is Jeff Lasky. Well, Jeff, thank you for being here. I'm so excited that you're the first guest on the podcast. I am super excited to be here, and I can't be the best or the worst being first. So. <laughs> well, you're definitely going to be the best. Let's, let's, let's go with that. So I, before we get started, why don't you just tell me a little bit about Shive Hattery? Okay. So Shive Hattery is an architecture, design, and engineering firm based in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, been in business for over 125 years. Currently have nine offices and 450 employees. We consider ourselves to be a full-service architecture design engineering firm. So anything from architecture services through uh, MEP services, civil, structural. And then we also have a number of, I guess, niche services within the umbrella. From what I know about Shive Hattery and from our conversations, what makes you a little bit different is the culture at your organization and specifically a culture of entrepreneurship. So tell me a little bit about that, because, you know, I, we, we, we talk a lot about organizational culture in our industry, and there's obviously a variety of different types. How do you guys go about kind of creating a culture of entrepreneurship at Shive Hattery? Yeah, I think we definitely offer something different um, than what the industry standard may be. Mm. Um, we try really to encourage that, that level of entrepreneurship that you mentioned. Um, it's everything we do in the organization is geared towards providing people opportunity. Um, you know, one of the challenges within the industry for a lot of people is that they get pegged into a certain hole or under a particular structure and they just have to wait out their time. We don't believe that waiting is the way to, to advance people or to let the cream rise to the top. Um, we want to provide them opportunity to pursue their passions to pursue their skills, to pursue whatever relationships they have, and really work hard to provide a structure that does that. Um, you know, I think the first thing that we try to do is just find entrepreneurial people um, and hire for the person and not necessarily for the skill set. That way they can go out and create change from the first day that they arrive at Shive Hattery, mm. whether they're, you know, a graduating student or somebody coming over from another organization. Um, so, so that's so the on, first part. On, on that with the hiring piece, obviously the job market's pretty tight right now. Finding good talent is, is difficult. So you guys are looking for smart, talented people that are also kind of go-getters, right? How, how, how are you finding those people? Um, it's a combination of ways. You know, I think an interesting thing about the Chicago market is how tight-knit um, the market is in general. Mm. You know, there's hundreds of professionals in the market, but everybody seems to know everybody. Mm. Um, so when we go out to events, one thing that we're constantly looking for are ways to add to our organization. So in addition to going and learning about furniture or sustainability or whatever it is within um, the educational opportunities we have, we're also sending people out to look for 
good quality individuals to potentially recruit to come to Shive Hattery. Hmm. It's kind of a secondary goal of networking. I noticed you guys had, if you Google Shive Hattery, you've got pretty good reviews on uh, Google and Glassdoor and Indeed. And Glassdoor is notorious for having bad reviews because people usually leave and then gripe about you in order to see more salary information. So congratulations on that. You guys are doing something right by hiring the right people that are happy while they're there. Yeah. Um, to be perfectly honest, I haven't checked those for the reviews. <laughs> um, you know, I'm concerned with the people who are in the office and trying to make sure everybody's pulling on the, the same end of the rope. What are some of the other ways that, that you guys kind of create that culture? Yeah. So first part is hiring the right people. The second part is the structure of our office. Um, we have a very flat structure mm-hmm. where it isn't uh, really dictated by a design director. We do have a design director as well as a creative director to help the creative process, but it's not top down. So when a project comes in the door, if your project lead you're not going to get it to a certain point, hand it off, and lose all design control. You're going to, to basically determine the outcome of that project with the help of other people in the office. Um, so some of our most senior people in the office play multiple roles on multiple projects. Where on one project, they'll be design lead and dictating kind of how the, the aesthetic or the finish of the project ends up. And on another project, at the very same time, supporting somebody who may be 15 years their junior in terms of experience um, and playing that particular role on that particular project. So it fluctuates from opportunity to opportunity. Have you, when you pitch that structure to a client, when you're doing a, you know, proposing work, have you run into any kind of challenges with any of your clients saying, well, I'm not sure I want the junior level person, or are you able to kind of communicate that it's a team effort and really in that flat structure that you're going to get everybody on the team supporting, regardless of who the lead is. Right. So it is truly a team pitch. Um, you know, a couple of the tenants that we live by is not to take a customer somewhere they can't go. Mm. So that's one of the very initial design principles is, you know, we found that there's nothing worse than taking somebody and showing them something that they can't have at the very beginning. And then getting into the meat of the project and having to take this away, that away, and them ending up feeling like they have less than they had hoped for. Um, Our goal in every project is to give them more than they thought was possible, um, but not taking them somewhere initially that they thought they can't go. The second is that they're going to be able to work with the team that's promised them the entire time. There's nobody from that team who's going to float in and out or be subbed in and out for billing purposes, budget purposes, time purposes. The team that we propose is the team that you're going to get, and they're going to work collaboratively and truly take the best ideas from the entire group in order to make that project as good as it can be. So you hire the right people. You get them involved early on with leadership opportunities within projects. What are some of the kind of the tools or, or uh, programs that Shive Hattery offers if, you know, if somebody wants to kind of Rise to the top at the organization. Yeah. So the third part is what we call a leadership development program. This program is run by our president and brings in different people throughout our organization at different times. But it lasts 18 months and covers a million different subjects. Um, Some of those subjects are um, 
you know, it discusses everything from why our firm is set up the way that it currently is, traditionally how design or decisions get made throughout the organization, um, other structures of organizations within our industry and outside of our industry, financial statements, financial performance, financial reporting, um, business development, and a million other subjects. Um, so it's kind of a combination of homework discussion items as well as you know, probably reading four or five books for each quarterly meeting and discussing the meat of those books and how it relates to our industry. Do you find that people, especially the right people that you're hiring, do you find that they appreciate that you have career development as kind of a, a very transparent and uh, clearly communicated and supported initiative at your organization? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a unique program. And even the exposure that it gives our staff within a 450-person organization to the president of the company, mm. where they get to spend you know two days a quarter with the president for 18 months, um, as well as our CFO and other senior professionals, it just gives them exposure to senior leadership within the company. I think the other really unique thing that comes out of this program when discussing organizational structure, decision-making, those types of things, is the understanding people come back with as to why things are the way they are and how we make decisions. Because a lot of times when you're sitting in the office and you don't have exposure to that stuff, you're like, I have no idea why we're going that direction or how to enact change within this organization. Mm -hmm. Once they go through this program, they know why we do the things that we do, how they've been done in the past, what the opportunities are for creating change in the future, effective strategies and tactics for creating change, not only within the organization, but within their network and within their professional and even personal life. Mm -hmm. um, so I find the people who finish the program, it ends up a bit transformative in the way they participate within Shive Hattery. Awesome. Very cool. You know, w culture, you know, and the, the desired culture an organization has from a leadership perspective can sometimes be different than the actual culture that exists within the organization and the subculture, the shadow culture, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's awesome to have a really clear definition and, and goal for what you want your culture to be at Shive Hattery or in any organization and then to put these programs in place to create that, to realize that. Yeah. But every every organization is going to have challenges around uh, around creating the culture they want. What are what are some of the challenges you guys have run into? So, yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. Um, you know, I think culturally, um, business development is not one of the, the main things that people in architecture, design, engineering school go to school for. Um, so we we created a program just for business development. So one of the ways that we try and shape culture is, again, through educational programs. Um, so that's a, a year-long program. Again, it meets every quarter and has meetings between those quarterly meetings to discuss what it's like to, to go out and define business, to build the network, build relationships, um, I think, which kind of gets it changing a bit of the core of the culture. Um, I don't want to overly generalize architects, architects designers and engineers, um, but they're generally very process-driven. Um, they've gone to school to learn a certain skill set. Um, most times they start to feel comfortable within their professional career once they've been there 10, 15, 20, 25 years. 
Um, you know, they're always taught to mitigate risk. Um, so when you're trying to combine that with a spirit of entrepreneurialism, you know, it takes some of these classes and giving them the opportunity to make mistakes um, in order to change that culture. So going from, you know, a traditionally schooled architect, designer, engineer who needs to follow specific rules to being an entrepreneur where you're going to fail more often than you succeed. Um, you're going to have some great meetings and you're going to have some great stories. Um, it's just a constant challenge to, to reiterate that it's okay to go out there to make mistakes and, and see where we end up. You said Shive Hattery has been around for 125 years. Um, has the culture changed over the course of more than a century? Well, I've only been around for eight years, um, <laughs> so I can only personally speak to that. Um, but yeah, from the stories that have been passed down of Shive Hattery, the culture has changed a lot. Um, you know, I think we're really good at staying true to the core of our culture, which is a dedication to high quality work, um, truly doing whatever it takes to get that project over the finish line or to to make the customer happy. Um, you know, I think those are the core of what we've believed and what we continue to believe. Um, but the organization and culture of the company has changed a lot. Um, there's been stories relayed to me that in the past we used to be a very command and control organization where everything was dictated by the corporate office. If one of the offices outside of Cedar Rapids needed pens, they needed to call into Cedar Rapids to request pens. <laughs> Not only that, they had to, to determine how many pens they needed because if it was less than a box of pens, like a specific number was going to be sent out. Um, so that was where we were in the past. And now, you know, I think the pendulum has swung quite far over to the other side where the corporate office is kind of hands off from, um, I guess we we'll call them design offices um, because each market that we're in is very unique um, and the skill sets within those offices is very unique. Our Lincoln, Nebraska office specializes in multifamily housing mm -hmm. and they are really, really good at, you know, turning out a great product there. Um, you know, Cedar Rapids, Iowa City, in addition to some of the architecture and design that they do, is really good at roundabouts in both horizontal and vertical government work. Hmm. Um, so I think the corporate office has recognized that each office is unique and has, I guess, unique requirements. Um, so they're more of a support role now than anything else. Well, and of course that's going to support that entrepreneurial culture you're looking to create if you don't have to report back into the mothership for every right. pen that you need, right? Yeah. I mean, we have you know a digital marketing person who's responsible for the website, Instagram. Um, at any time, any of the offices can send her material and say, you know what, I'd really like to feature this for the next couple of weeks. Cool. How about we blow up Instagram with just inspirational photos mm. or, you know, ground up projects or, you know, uh, open office interior spaces. Whatever it might be. Same thing goes for our marketing department. If we want to target a particular uh, 
vertical or a particular subset of people we're marketing, like they're there to hop on our team immediately and support our effort. So do you guys have, are you guys basically just reporting back into Cedar Rapids, you know, every once in a while, or are you guys also connected, whether it's through technology or just, you know, are are you communicating with the other design offices? Are you guys sharing best practices and project work and that type of thing? Yeah. um, Within Shive Hattery, we're our own biggest customer. Hmm. So between the work shared between offices, we end up our largest cost customer, probably by 5x to any other customer. Um, So whether that's sharing engineering services or architecture services. um, And I think that when we set a project team up, we truly try to get the best people for that project, regardless of where they sit. Nice. Because at this point, distance isn't really that big an issue. You can either hop on a car or a plane and be there physically, or through the use of technology, um, really effectively be there. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we found that with our national accounts practice mm-hmm. um, is really the ability to take that. Um, knowledge that we have of the customer and transfer it anywhere within the United States, even though we don't sit geographically in the city that the project may be going on. Well, speaking of technology, it's changing pretty much every industry. How is it changing the architectural and design world? I think uh, it's rapidly changing the architecture and design world. Um, You know, going from CAD to Revit was a huge leap. Uh, in terms of just being able to build within a 3D model uh, from the very first line that's drawn as opposed to a flat CAD plan. Um, you know, the amount of coordination that's able to, to go into a Revit model as well with engineers, contractors, um, clash detection when you're designing so that you don't have uh, an HVAC run that's interfering with a structural column. Like you can, the program will help tell you that as you're designing it to make sure that there aren't problems or issues. Um, you know, and I think the architecture design engineering firms that embrace technology are going to be the ones who end up winning in the end. Um, you know, within our company, we've invested in a number of different technologies. Um, and because we do so many different things, we have the opportunity to dabble in a million different things that make work better, faster, more accurate. Um, you know, we have 3D scanning specialists who are able to go into manufacturing facilities or a, a building that doesn't have drawings. And for a very reasonable sum, the output is exactly what's in that building. So you need to move machinery, change piping, anything like that, down to the inch, you can tell exactly what that building looks like. So they go in with a is it a piece of technology that basically yep. takes a, th- a 3D map, a scan of the interior? A 3D scan the interior of, of the, the space. Building. Wow. Yeah. And then you can lay it, you can rearrange and lay things out. Yeah. Because you've got that. Yeah. With F, the output is a, a 3D model okay. that you can then manipulate. Cool. Um, you know, an interesting thing with 3D scanning is that, you know, there's a couple of police departments that are using 3D scanning to scan crime scenes. Wow. So, you know, whether it's a shell casing or whatever it might be on the crime scene, they can 3D scan that and then accurately go back and review the crime scene because they have a detailed picture of what that looks like. 
um, wow. a little bit of a, a That's different cool. technology yeah. that, that we're employing within the architecture world. Um, you know, a couple other neat things that we do technology-wise is like a field tester for turf to make sure that, you know, the athletes who are participating on that particular field, um, that it's within a safe range of cushion for them. Huh. You know, when to replace the turf. Um, we have drone pilots on staff. Um, we actually created a periodic table of niche services. And I'd say within those niche services, there's a technology component, whether it's uh, asbestos testing, um, meth testing, uh, you know, you name it, like it's somewhere on that periodic table of, of services. What are your drone pilots doing? Are they taking video of finished spaces? Or are they just getting up in the air so they can see a bird's eye view of a building that you guys might be working on? So it, um, I guess it would fall into a couple of categories. Uh, not so much finished spaces, more site planning mm. or facility assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, since we do ground up work, civil work, like you can take that drone out and get a perfect picture of what the site looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, for industrial buildings, finished buildings, where you may not be able to get up on the roof, you can get an accurate picture of what the roof looks like without putting somebody at risk for going up there. Sure. Um, there's also heat sensing technology so that you can see where heat is escaping buildings, um, where they can be better insulated. Um, so there's a number of different areas in which you can use kind of that drone technology. Not to get too much into the into the drone weeds, but uh, when you guys are creating a, a rendering in Revit and you've got exterior views, you know, you're creating the, the 3D space inside the building, how are you capturing what is, are you guys actually somehow capturing what's outside the window of the, what that building would look like? Um, or is it more of a generic, it's the city, it's the suburb, there's some trees? It depends how much time, energy, and effort uh-huh. goes into the rendering. Mm-hmm. Um, we can accurately capture exactly what's outside of it. I mean, a lot of times it's um, off of a photo and then recreated. Sure. Um, but the point that renderings have got to at this point, it's really difficult to tell whether it's a photograph or a rendering. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a, a staff member do a 30-minute presentation on what goes into renderings because there are certain people, they're basically artists right, right. when they're creating these renderings. Um, managing light, exposure, uh, texture within a digital image is everything that an artist would do. Um, so we gave a 30-minute presentation, and this was like a brief overview of what it takes to take a rendering from you know, an initial image or vision in somebody's head to something that is a finished product that can be used for marketing purposes or visual aid purposes. That could be a whole different podcast. Yeah, I'm sure it could. Well, it's cool that you guys are are harnessing some of these cutting-edge technologies because I think you're right. The companies that are willing to take those chances, you know, sometimes it's hard to be on the bleeding edge of a new technology if it's not fully baked out yet, but uh, I'm sure it's resonating with your clients. Absolutely. I mean, there's stuff that... You know, we're trying to constantly educate ourselves on. You know, I think virtual reality is a technology that people have heard, um, but it's becoming more onto the forefront of helping customers vision space. Mm-hmm. Like they can actually be in the space and the level of finish and detail that is going into the, the virtual reality now almost puts them into the space where they can feel exactly what it's going to be like without having to build it out. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think some of the emerging technologies, 
3D printing. Hmm. I mean, in terms of material choices, building, you know, it may not be here quite yet, um, but it's coming and it's going to, to revolutionize where we're at. Let's make that, that jump now for what's, what's coming, the emerging. You know, we just started a new decade. What, do, what is your forecast for the 2020s? I would say that, um, you know, with technology trending the way that it is, it's just more flexibility within workspace. We haven't talked about that specifically quite yet. You know, we've gone from private offices to uh, cubicles, Cubicles to open office, open offices to we space, from me to we. Um, and, you know, the continued transition of where people are going to be able to work effectively mm. and what type of space you need to support that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are people going to have to come to the office as often as they do? You know, I see it, people being able to work from anywhere and that opening up hiring opportunities for all sorts of organizations. You know, you don't have to be in a Chicago, a San Francisco, an Austin in order to get that tech customer or the the tech employee. Um, They can basically sit anywhere. And with the advance of technology, you know, it can be as effective as sitting right next door to the person that you're working with on a project. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I actually just wrote an article for a newspaper on this this exact topic. Um, you know, I love technology and what it's doing and opening up these doors to have work done anywhere yeah. and hire people from all over the, the, the world, really. But at the same time, we're in commercial interiors industry, you know, so mm-hmm. we love building spaces that people want to come to. You know, so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a balance. You know, uh, we we sh- certainly don't want people to never come to work, you know, because I think you lose something from the ability to build a culture and to support organizational values and create real relationships that way. Yeah. But you also want technology to enable your business to be different and transform and to, to be more effective and efficient. So you had you had talked before a little bit when when uh, about about branding, you know, and and some ways that you could maybe not just tap into the furniture and the physical space, but ways that you could kind of communicate your culture and your values in your space outside of furniture and walls and the physical. Yeah, I think branding is a really interesting subject. Um, You know, traditionally when you mention branding, especially as it relates to office space, um, a lot of people are like, yeah, we're going to put our mission statement on the wall in whatever font that we use. Um, we're going to slap a logo on the reception desk and bam, you know, the office is branded. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not branding and that's not creating culture. That's not a space that, like you said, that people want to come to. Mm-hmm. Like the challenge now is creating space that they want to come to. Right. Um, you know, when it comes to branding and creating space that people want to come to, I, I love this particular story about a project that we did. Um, it was an organization called Climate Corporation. They're a subsidiary of Monsanto. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, over a hundred year old ag company, but they're the technology wing of this organization. So they're competing for the same employees as Facebook, Google, LinkedIn, you know, all of these tech companies. Um, so when they had an office renovation come up, they said, you know, attraction and retention of this particular tech employee is the most important thing to us. How can you help us? So we ended up taking their conference room and basically creating a recruiting tool for them. 
So on one wall, we drew a topographical map. It's both based on lines and colors to, I guess, emphasize the heritage of the corporation. So the ag background of the corporation. And then um, throughout that wall, we placed ones and zeros in binary code that wrote out their mission statement. Uh So when they bring potential employees in, they set the employee on the far side of that wall so that they're looking at the wall. The most obvious thing that the employee sees is topographical map. Yes, this is an ad company. And then, like, as the interview goes on, there's a moment in almost every one of those interviews where the tech employee, like, recognizes that it's binary code on the wall. And then that starts a whole different conversation, and it basically welcomes like that particular person, that particular interest into the organization where they say, you know what, I know this is an ad company and it's about crops and food, but this is a place that I belong. This is a place that I can see myself existing, being um, being a part of. So it's, it's layering, you know, kind of the obvious with, um, you know, kind of a, almost an inside not necessarily joke, but like mission mm-hmm. um, within the organization. An acknowledgement that you can be a tech, you know, geek and still work at an agricultural company, right? Right. That's yeah. cool. That's I mean, really cool. Because that, that's a that would be very challenging to come up with a way to blend those two together on one wall, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, that's cool. It's you know the, the level of Finnish space is going to these days mm-hmm. for people who are competing in this type of job market for. A limited skill set you need to find a way to differentiate yourself mm. like how do you make people feel welcome from the very first day you know with social media out there instagram facebook twitter like people have a perception of your organization before you even get to talk to them you and, know? and and then to be able to reflect the efforts that you're making externally internally not just mm-hmm. for for your visitors and your clients but for your your team it's so important. Right. And an open office too allows you to do it because, you know, like that's, I think one of the benefits of it is there's a greater line of sight. You can see throughout the facility so you can use that facility to, to do things like that. Yeah. And it, it doesn't cost more to build space out that way. If it does, it's marginal. Mm -hmm. Um, but it just creates a different level of experience and you know, what's happening in the 2020s, what's coming is you know an increased focus on client experience, mm. both from our perspective. What are we doing to make that experience better? You know, instead of just being good, what opportunities do we have to make it great? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the same for uh, people building space out. All right, let's switch gears a little bit, and I want I want some advice from you um, based off all your 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 experience and. Um, and your position and, and, and what you know about uh, entrepreneurship in our market, what, what's a resource that you would recommend? Book, podcast, website, technology? If someone's looking to benefit their career professionally, what would you recommend? My favorite at this point is LinkedIn. Hmm. Um, not only in terms of finding people within the industry who can help you, I guess, find more business. I come from a business development background, so that's how I use it. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at my LinkedIn feed as an educational tool. Mm. I mean, the people I follow and the, I guess, 
white papers, articles, things that they're putting out on LinkedIn help educate me as to what's going on in the market. Um, not only in terms of projects, but in terms of trends, uh, the direction, you know, whatever it might be is going. So curating your LinkedIn in order to maximize the amount of value you get, I think is the most, one of the easiest ways to, to create an awareness as to what's going on outside of your bubble. If you were mentoring someone right now, what's a piece of advice you'd give them? Going back to entrepreneurship, my first piece of advice would be that they're responsible for finding their own mentors. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I were a mentor to them, I would encourage them to find other mentors as well. You know, I think finding different perspectives, diversity, rounding out who you're listening to and what advice you're getting um, is incredibly important. And I think, you know, taking personal responsibility for that mentorship is a step towards entrepreneurship and success in your career. Um, you know, I think certain organizations do a better job of coaching and potentially providing that mentorship within the organization. Um, but, you know, the people who reach out and say, I need help with this, or I would like to discuss that with other professionals in the industry, you know, people are always willing to impart whatever knowledge they have if somebody seeks it out. It's much harder for somebody to go to somebody else and say, you know what, I think you need help doing this, mm -hmm. or I think you're doing this wrong or inefficiently. Um, so find your own mentors like people that you respect within the industry and, and find different perspectives. You, uh, Shive Hattery's, I think, been nominated for a pretty, pretty impressive uh, uh, award. You want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, we have this year. So the largest event in our industry is the Greater Chicago, Chicago Food Depository Awards. Um, where it recognizes people within real estate, architecture, design, construction for the best projects in the year of the year. Um, this year, Shive Hattery was nominated along with Gensler, Solomon Cordwell-Benz, and Wright Hirama as Architect of the Year in Chicago, wow. which we couldn't be more excited about. I mean, cool. being in that category is excellent in and of itself, and uh, anybody out there listening, we would love your vote for, for winning this category this year. How do they vote? How, how do people vote for that? Um, the way people vote is uh, if you sponsor a table at the Food Depository Awards, you get a vote. Okay. So anybody sponsoring a table has a vote. Um, for anybody who doesn't know if you sponsored a table, ask leadership within your office if you have a table and then encourage them to, to vote uh, for Shive Hattery. Um, but the event itself is a great event. I think they raised over a million and a half dollars on a single night Wow! Um, for the Greater Chicago Food Depository. Wow. And I can't think of anything better than making sure that people know where the next meal is coming from. Well, incredible insight. Um, really great advice. Thanks so much for this conversation. It was uh, such a pleasure to have you as the first guest on the show, Jeff. Thanks, George. I appreciate it. Work Inspired is brought to you by BOS, a leader in commercial working environments and a Hayworth best-in-class dealership. Experience our 360 approach and discover the team, tools, and techniques required to navigate the complexity of your next workspace at BOS.com. If you have ideas, feedback, or would like to be featured on our show, please email podcast at BOS.com.
Thank you for listening. This has been a Workspace Digital production. If you're interested in launching a podcast at your organization, please email info at workspace.digital for a free consultation. Yeah.